This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, the Summit of the Americas will examine the hemisphere's biggest diplomatic event. But first, Sierra Hancock has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The United States took a harder line this week with those accused of human rights violations in the Salvadoran Civil War. The U.S. deported Eugenio Vides Casanova, a former general and once El Salvador's defense minister in the 70s and 80s. A U.S. immigration court found Vides guilty of the torture and killings of civilians in the conflict due to his command responsibility for the Salvadoran armed forces. The former general's orders likely resulted in the murder of four American women doing church and volunteer work in El Salvador during the war. One victim of the torture at the hands of the military, Nias Gonzalez, reacted to the deportation. They gave me electric shocks. I was eight months pregnant, and they held me and gave me shocks through my hands. That's a pain you don't forget. There is no justice. We can't say we have a real peace. If we're going to say we have a true, tranquil peace, then we must prosecute these criminals, even though the war is over. Due to an amnesty program, Vides currently faces no charges in El Salvador. He had fought deportation for 16 years after retiring to Florida near the end of the Civil War. The U.S. also moved to extradite Colonel Inocente Montano to Spain. Spanish courts want to try Montano for the murder of five Jesuit priests during the Civil War. Montano has been serving a 21-month sentence in a U.S. prison in North Carolina for lying on his immigration forms. The Salvadoran Civil War began in the late 1970s and continued until 1992. The United Nations reports that at least 75,000 people died during the war. U.S. President Barack Obama says he's considering whether to remove Cuba from the list of countries that officially sponsor terror. The president made this statement while in Jamaica on his way to the Summit of the Americas in Panama this weekend. Removing Cuba from that list would clear another hurdle in normalizing diplomatic relations between the U.S. and Cuba. Also this week, the U.S. Supreme Court denied an appeal from Alan Gross, who had been held prisoner in Cuba for five years. Gross had sued the government for $60 million, saying it had failed to properly train him for his mission to Cuba. Gross was helping the Jewish community in Cuba to connect to the Internet, but he also smuggled sophisticated electronic devices onto the island. In a separate legal action, the federal government had already paid Gross a settlement of $3.2 million. We'll have more on President Obama and his trip to the Summit of the Americas later on this program. Chefs and confectioners in Bariloche, Argentina, proudly displayed their creation last Sunday. What they say is the world's largest handmade Easter egg. 50,000 people gathered to watch the unveiling of the egg and, of course, to get a taste. The egg stood almost 28 feet high and it contained more than 17,000 pounds of chocolate. Bariloche is known as the chocolate capital of Argentina. For Latin Pulse, I'm Sierra Hancock. Thanks, Sierra. Today, Friday, April 10th, the Summit of the Americas begins in Panama. Every three years, the presidents in the Western Hemisphere gather to discuss important diplomatic issues. This year, what's new is Cuba will be included. For years, the United States had successfully barred Cuban participation. But with the historic changes and diplomatic shifts between the U.S. and Cuba, 
that has changed the dynamic at this important summit meeting. We spoke to Eric Olson about the summit. Olson is the Associate Director of the Latin American Program of the Woodrow Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. He joined us via Skype. I think it'll be significant more for the subplots that are are playing themselves out than the actual summit itself. The official topic of the summit is inequality in Latin America, and I think that's a a very significant issue. Uh, It's a big issue here in the United States, but also a growing issue in Latin America, and hopefully there'll be some progress. The Panamanians hope that there will be a roadmap that will be, uh, you know, articulated for countries to deal with uh, the inequality issues, the growing inequality between the poor and the super wealthy in Latin America. Uh, But I'm afraid that that might be overwhelmed by some of these other subplots that we see developing on the horizon. And what would those subplots be? First and foremost, of course, is the issue of improving relations between the United States and Cuba, the president's decision to open up talks on normalization of relations, a whole host of issues, including trade and more travel with Cuba. I think that's a big issue. Uh, It's been a long-term irritant in U.S.-Latin American relations. The last summit in Cartagena, Colombia, you know, kind of came to a screeching uh, halt with threats from Latin America that they wouldn't come back to another summit unless Cuba was present. So in some ways, the die was cast a few years ago, and now it's playing itself out in this uh, uh, summit. Cuba, U.S. relations aren't on the official agenda, but merely the fact that Cuba and the United States will be there, will be in the midst of normalization uh, talks is really a significant one and I think uh, an important subplot to this uh, summit. What complicates that is the current relationship between the U.S. and Venezuela, and the Cubans seem to have thrown in, as one might be expected, to hear that they've thrown in with the Venezuelans pretty hard recently. Yeah, there's no question about that. And that's probably the second subplot that's going to play itself out there. And to some extent, again, Venezuela, U.S. relations are not on the official agenda, but there's been a major, you know, blow up in that a lot because of the decision of the United States to sanction uh, seven high ranking Venezuelan uh, officials. And in the process of sanctioning them, Uh, declaring that Venezuela represented a national security threat to the United States. Um, This was a gift-wrapped gift for the Venezuelan government that was uh, facing enormous uh, uh, instability internally, economic decline. There's a whole bunch of questions about the viability of the government over the next years. But now the topic du jour, the topic that the government is, Venezuelan government is lifting up is this threat presumed threat from the United States because it's been determined to be uh, a national security issue. Uh, And so it's given Venezuela an opportunity to go around the region and seek solidarity from other regional uh, allies, other regional bodies. Uh, Clearly, Cuba is in the uncomfortable position of, on the one hand, welcoming improved relations with the United States, and on the other hand, having to stand by in solidarity with Venezuela. And while I don't think it's going to unravel the momentum in U.S.-Cuban relations, it certainly creates a great deal of controversy, complication, uh, and we'll just see how it plays itself out. We've recently seen UNASUR 
condemn the United States. And so there you have a block of nations in South America condemning the United States. Doesn't this have potential to jam up this summit too? Yeah, I think this this does. Now, we have to be clear, there are a number of uh, countries in Latin America who don't want U.S.-Venezuela relations to overshadow the summit. Probably most significantly, Mexico is really resisting any kind of way in which uh, uh, the the summit would be uh, ground to a halt over U.S.-Venezuela relations. They feel there are more important, more significant issues to discuss. But nevertheless, the, 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 what was hoped to be almost a celebratory uh, uh, feeling about the summit, U.S., Cuba, maybe even announcing opening of uh, full diplomatic relations, full embassies, now suddenly becomes overshadowed once again by this uh, other conflict between the United States and Venezuela. Because inequality is the central theme, this is one issue that the Venezuelans tend to trumpet, that they have worked very hard at changing the Gini coefficient in their country and that it's better than than most countries in Latin America, if not all countries in Latin America. So will that be one of those comparative issues of we've broken away from what the Venezuelans tend to call the empire of the United States um, and see how we've changed our economic situation to improve inequality? I'm, I'm sh- I have no doubt that Venezuela will attempt to, to, you know, put forward that narrative. There's, you know, a grain of truth in it uh, if one looks strictly at the numbers. On the other hand, uh, you know, you have a country with hyperinflation. We know hi- hyperinflation impacts poor people more than anyone else. Uh, we have a co- there's a country of of a number of scarcities. Uh, people have difficulty you know, finding what it is they need. Uh, I'm not saying it's a situation of, you know, abject hunger yet in Venezuela, but certainly the economy is not functioning in an efficient way. Uh, and this is affecting not only the upper classes and middle classes, but also lower classes in Venezuela. So there is some truth, maybe, that that inequality has improved the Gini coefficients, but the other parallel truth is also very present that the economy in Venezuela exchange exchange rates are wildly out of proportion. Uh, There are numerous problems there as well. One of the subplots that you mentioned to us uh, might also be Central America. Well, what do you see happening with Central America at this particular summit? Well, since this is a Central America summit hosted in Panama, I think the Central American countries are certainly banding together to put forward uh, the best case possible for international support for their efforts to deal with uh, high levels of crime, underdevelopment, in, especially in the northern con- triangle countries, but all of Central America. Obviously, Panama is an outlier in terms of Central America. It has an economic growth that's second only to China's. Um, so they're doing quite well. But I was in Panama a couple of weeks ago, and there's a real sensitivity, a real understanding that uh, inequality and, and poverty are a major issue in Central America, and the Panamanian government certainly wants to be a player in that. Um, so I think they're going to seek international support. The, the Northern Triangle countries have put forward a plan called the Alliance for Prosperity. Uh, the U.S. has, you know, made some broad commitments to support it. Uh, President Obama has asked Congress for a billion dollars to support 
this uh, plan for, for Northern Triangle. So I think there's a lot of things on the table. There's a real desire to be proactive, constructive in helping Central America resolve some of its chronic uh, problems of poverty and violence. Uh, just for those folks who don't track the Northern Triangle being Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, and certainly in El Salvador and Honduras, uh, you still have very high uh, murder rates, uh, which some believe are, of course, tied to the economic situations in those particular countries. Is this progress plan that the Northern Triangle countries have proposed, is it tied at all to uh, immigration and immigration policy in the United States? Well, it you know, officially it was the response to that immigration crisis that we saw emerge last year. Uh, over last summer on the U.S. border where as many as 50,000 unaccompanied minors showed up at the U.S. border seeking some sort of protection in the United States. President Obama met with the the presidents of the Northern Triangle countries uh, in July. He asked them to come up with a plan that would deal with some of the long-term underlying push factors. And so this has been their plan that they've put forward uh, to in response to try to deal with the economic problems, but also try to deal with the governance problems, the problems of corruption and ineffectiveness of government, and also building more support for rule of law in, in, in that region. Am I wrong that this summit is tacit ties to the Organization of American States, and we see a change in leadership there with a new leader coming from Uruguay? Do, do we see that as going to be any sort of issue at this particular summit? Well, I, I think it is part of the backdrop. There's no question, as you say, it's not a formal tie to the OAS, but but the OAS, the inter-American system, is very much linked to the summit process in Latin America. And Secretary General Almagro from Uruguay will be present there. It will be his first uh, involvement officially in an inter-American uh, uh, moment. What haven't we covered regarding the summit that you think is important for us to know headed into it? You know, I think there are some uh, other issues that are not talked about all that much, but potentially important. One of them has to do with the uh, remaining prisoners at Guantanamo uh, base. These are U.S.-held prisoners. Uh, I believe 54 have now been approved for release uh, by the United States, but they haven't found places to send them. Uruguay took the step, and, and, and Foreign Minister Almagro, now the Secretary General of the OAS, was very involved in the decision in Uruguay to accept seven of those prisoners and try to help them uh, get over that really terrible experience that they went through. Uh, I think other Latin American countries are looking at that possibility of, of accepting some number of prisoners as well. And I think that's going to be one of those things behind the scenes, kind of secret talks uh, to try to see if Brazil, maybe Chile, Peru, Argentina might be open to taking some number of those prisoners uh, as a gesture of goodwill and also, frankly, to uh, put an end to what has been a horrible black mark in U.S. Uh, foreign policy. Thank you so much, Eric Olson, Associate Director of Latin American Programs at the Woodrow Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. Join us via Skype today on Latin Pulse. Thanks for being our guest. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be hearing more from our interview with Eric Olson later this spring. Coming up, 
More analysis of this weekend's important Summit of the Americas. Stay with us. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life. An amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. With another perspective on the Summit of the Americas, Peter Hakem joins us from Washington, D.C. Hakem is with the Inter-American Dialogue. We spoke to him via Skype. Uh, most of the presidents, the overwhelming majority of presidents will be there. The one I've heard has dropped out now is Michelle Bachelet from Chile because of floods in the northern part of the region that have taken a large number of lives. The agenda is pretty straightforward. There's nothing really sort of new, uh, of great importance that the countries can really begin to cooperate on. There's no free trade area. The America's on the agenda. There's no inter-American democratic charter on the agenda. These are sort of standard objectives that you would expect the countries of the hemisphere to want to to achieve. And uh, they mostly have to do the work themselves. There's a few like climate change uh, that could require some degree of cooperation. The interesting thing, Rick, is that the last summit of the Americas, which was probably one of the most productive in Cartagena, Colombia, the agenda was similarly an agenda really uh, not terribly inspiring or uh, provoking. uh, But the countries, uh, Latin American countries, managed to press the United States to put two additional issues on the agenda, which the United States initially resisted quite strongly. One was drug policy and the other was Cuba. And the result uh, of getting those on the agenda, or at least the agenda for the uh, discussion among the presidents themselves, was there is now a two-volume study uh, of drug policy in the hemisphere, which has argued for an important change. And the United States has joined in that change. And we're seeing a uh, broader policy that uh, sort of ends the prohibition and punishment approach and more is public health and prevention, rehabilitation. And the results are not totally obvious now, but clear that the United States is no longer the arbiter of drug policy in the Americas. Every country is being encouraged to pursue its own policy. Have, have, we, seen, sure. have we seen a real shift, though, in U.S. policy other than letting others drive and certainly this move toward legalization in places like Uruguay? Oh, oh yeah. There's no question you've seen a change in policy within the United States. The Justice Department has been pushing hard for changes in uh, the the laws regarding sentencing. Uh, There is certainly uh, much more effort to uh, avoid putting uh, sort of users in jail in the United States. And this is the beginning of a trend I think we're going to see that uh, 
uh, drug uh, violations are going to become less and less uh, serious offenses. And that's important. And overseas, the United States, as you said, is encouraging other countries to adopt their own policies. We continue to finance a lot of these policies, so we have an important say. But I think the evolution will be in the same direction. Different countries will pursue different policies, and there will be less emphasis on prohibition and punishment now. You were going to bring up the second point of the big shift in Cuban relations. Well, this is, of course, the uh, the most dramatic change in hemispheric policy, in U.S. policy. In the past year, uh, the uh, countries uh, of Latin America agreed uh, all of them 100%, that they wouldn't attend another summit unless Cuba was present. The Panamanians went ahead and invited Cuba over some objections of the United States. And uh, people were wondering, is President Obama going to show up at the summit? And the fact is uh, that not only is he going to show up at the summit, but he announced his own initiative toward Cuba, which I think wasn't exactly caused, it wasn't a cause and effect, but certainly the fact that the rest of the hemisphere said, you know, we can't have a hemispheric organization without Cuba, even though Cuba isn't a democracy. And if the U.S. wants the Summit of the Americas, an inter-American organization, then it really has to uh, open its arms to Cuba's participation. And that's happened. Are we going to see Cuba in a strange position then? at this particular summit, invited back into this space, but then maybe being pressured by Venezuela regarding the sanctions that the Obama administration has put on Venezuela this spring. Well, let let me say, I think that uh, there will be a fine line. Uh, Cubans are adept at at this kind of diplomacy. They've already uh, pointedly criticized the United States for the sanctions and for Uh, identifying Venezuela as a security threat to the United States. But at the same time, uh, a uh, delegation of Cubans came up to Washington to begin for a discussion of human rights issues. I think they're going to continue to play both sides of that. Uh, They need Venezuela still. Uh, Venezuela provides them with a big chunk of financing every year. At the same time, uh, 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 they know that reconciliation with the United States is, is also a step forward in bolstering a, uh, uh, a still pretty weak, debilitated economy. So I think they're going to have to play both sides of that, and they're going to try to avoid a shock. They will simply make their statements. And they, like I say, the Cubans have been pretty agile at this. What about the agility of the U.S. and President Obama and the State Department in regards to Venezuela. Is Venezuela going to be something that ends up being the central focus of this summit uh, because of their complaints uh, against the United States? Well, I think the U.S. uh, clearly made a misstep. Uh, I've called it a blunder. Uh, Not so much in imposing sanctions. These sanctions were slap on the wrist to seven mid-level officials, hard to sort of be very worried about them. But in uh, U.S. law required a certain language declaring Venezuela a security threat in order to impose the sanctions. And that's what's gotten everyone worked up, that uh, 
And I think that uh, the U.S. shouldn't have a whole lot of trouble in sort of fending it off, saying, you know, that uh, we're not a threat to Venezuela. We don't see Venezuela as as an imminent uh, threat to the United States. I hope that the summit doesn't get tangled in the Venezuela crisis. It's because nobody has been able to manage it very well. The Venezuelans have let it deteriorate. Their economy continues to uh, worsen. Uh, and of course, the politics have become more and more polarized, more and more conflictive, intense. Uh, the UNASUR group that pledged a year ago to try and seek a negotiated solution uh, that would involve the government and the opposition has failed in advancing any solution. And the U.S. now has made this uh, rather uh, unnecessary blunder, to, uh, uh, which has fired up the Venezuelans and uh, brought down a host of criticism from the rest of Latin America. So like I say, it seems like the Venezuela, it's, it's the Keystone cops trying uh, from every side to do something and everything seems to be going wrong and becoming more dangerous in the process. What else about the summit do you think that we should consider? One should watch closely the role that uh, Raul Castro plays. Remember, he was admitted back. The Cuba's suspension from the Organization of American States, the other hemisphere-wide organization that includes the United States, uh, was done four or five years ago now, in 2009. And the Cubans haven't done anything to reactivate their membership. They're not suspended, and they're not a participating member. What happens at the summit will be some indication if they're really taking other steps to rejoin hemispheric uh, politics, hemispheric relations, becoming a normal participant in hemispheric affairs. And this is what I think the most important thing to watch. They're going to be at the summit. They say they're going to be a full participant. They've opened up negotiations with the United States. Now the question is, there's a whole lot of other uh, hemisphere-wide organizations, inter-American organizations, are they going to start to become an active participant more generally in inter-American affairs? We have heard people recently on this program wonder aloud about whether the Organization of American States is, is a useful organization anymore because of the lack of Cuba and and dysfunction within the organization itself? Well, I think it's the dysfunction. It's not the absence of Cuba. I think the absence of Cuba uh, tended to be symbolically why the Latin Americans didn't think it was so useful. But the, the, the organization has suffered over the past years. It's financial situation is 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 debilitating the uh, differences the discord among latin american countries between certain latin american countries in the u.s has paralyzed the organization in many aspects but you know organizations uh, that happens to organizations look at the u.s uh, congress that uh, it used to be uh, an organism that could work together and uh, produce results the Senate was, uh, what was it, the world's greatest deliberative body. Now it's the greatest polarizing body. And uh, so, uh, yeah, the OAS is going through a very difficult patch. Perhaps it's worst ever. 
But uh, I think that uh, my own view is uh, that it's time to try and uh, rehabilitate the OAS. The U.S. ought to send a very strong ambassador there. I hope the Brazilians put their ambassador in. In other words, I think that it is an important organization. It has an important role to play. It hasn't been playing it. And I think it can be rehabilitated. I mean, you know, baseball teams win pennants and then they fall into the cellar. That's, uh, I don't know if the OAS has won any pennants, but it's certainly in the cellar now. Thanks so much, Peter Hakem of the Inter-American Dialogue. Join us via Skype from Washington, D.C. on Latin Pulse. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Latin Pulse. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's Latin Pulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and we're also now available via the podcasting service called Stitcher. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team. Production assistant Sierra Hancock and producer Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>